Don't you love hearing those stories of God's transformation? How God's moving in people's lives. Yeah, in the, in the midst of a season like the one that we are still in and have been enduring, to hear stories and, and to know that there are uh, hundreds of people who in 2020 have connected with each other and with God in the midst of community of some sort. Uh, what, what good news, what hopeful news. That's part of what our actual mission is about uh, at Hillside Church, to connect you with God to connect you with each other. If you don't already have plans in 2021 to connect in a group with others, we would love for you today to, to be a part of that. We've got groups like Rooted. We've got adult Bible studies, men and women's studies. We've got student groups. We've got a financial peace university, a marriage thing. Like there are plenty of opportunities. Just go on our website and, and join in and be a part. We are not meant to live this life alone. We need others. And in this season, it's as crazy as it is, there are plenty and, and, and numerous virtual opportunities for all of those uh, because that's just how it is in this season. But don't let being virtual keep you from experiencing community. Sign up, be a part, don't miss out. And know this, also it's your generosity that helps us uh, be a part of seeing community take place and others connect uh, to God. Uh, in those groups. Your generosity actually helps to enable that and enable life change. So when you give to Hillside, and as the pastor at Hillside, I just wanna say to those of you who give, thank you so much, it matters. Some of those stories, they're literally answers to prayers and your generosity helps to fund that vision. We couldn't do what we believe God has asked us to do without you. Thank you so much much because we believe that generosity is an act of worship that honors God. Giving is a part of the stewardship we've been entrusted. And I just want to say thank you. And I want to give you a moment even just right now to pause and to say, God, thank you for the way that you've uh, provided for us to even maybe pray, God, how would you want us to give? And as a church, as we end this year, maybe you would prayerfully consider how could you help us as we end this year, finish strong in this time of transformation to see God do what only he can do. Let's just pause for a moment. Maybe you wanna pray, God, thank you uh, for what you've given me. Or maybe you wanna say, God, give me wisdom in how to be a good steward of what you've entrusted me with. Let's just take a moment to, to think about and respond to God. Sleep. 
don't know if you've had this experience yourself or maybe you have children and you have this experience of uh, like when a child wakes up in the middle of the night and uh, has a nightmare and they, and they don't know where to go and they don't know where to turn except for straight to their parents room and jump in bed and scare the parents half to death by the way and say, I, I had a nightmare, and I was so scared to death, and this like house that felt like it was doomed, and there was so much fear and terror, the moment the child gets in the parent's bed, it's a place of peace. And some of us are feeling like, in some ways, we're in the middle of a nightmare, and and the problem is, we're like 40 or 50 or 60 or 70, and we don't know where we can run to find a place of peace. We can't go to mommy and daddy's bed anymore. And in seasons like this, there's got to be a place we run to. There's got to be a place where we take our anxiety. There's got to be a place where we sort of unload and we find comfort and we, we find a shelter in the midst of the storms. You can sing peace on earth and, and mercy mild. You can hear it playing in your car or, or, or in the store when you're shopping and, and yet have a heart that's anything but peace and mild, Right? We can be in a moment where even in the background, hark the herald angels sing and peace on earth is being declared, but we're watching the evening news or we're on our smartphone and there's no peace in our hearts. Know what I mean? Or silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright, sleep in heavenly peace is playing and yet there's noise all in our house and we're like, will you please be quiet? There's not peace in our hearts even if it's playing in our homes. Roommates and friends and families seem to be being torn apart in this season. Relationships broken because of a pandemic or an election or race, or masks. Like relationships are broken. Husbands and wives are spending a lot more time together and for some of you it's not a good thing right now. Children and parents stuck at home together at each other's throats. Fear, anxiety, stress, emotional turmoil raging out of control. I have an image in my head this week of like a lake or, or a pond or something, a pool, perfectly still water, just still. I, I went on my uh, screensaver desktop and, and put like a picture of, of still water on my screen and yet I have so many things saved to my desktop I can barely even see it. I, and I thought about this, like if, if I were to say, how's your heart, how's your soul in this season? Is it more like calm, still water or raging waves in an ocean being tossed? 
And, and where do you take anxiety and where do you go with burdens? And so in this series, this is the last week of uh, Here Comes Heaven, we've been talking about that there are glimpses that we can have on earth because of Jesus of things that will one day be completely fulfilled in heaven, but we don't have to wait till we get to heaven to experience them. We talked about Jesus is revealed by angels to be Emmanuel, God with us, and we can get glimpses of him here on earth, experiences of him right here, right now, and one day it will be fulfilled and complete, and, and for eternity, he will be our God, we will be his people, but we can get glimpses of it now. We, we talked about the, the declaration of Maranatha. You, you hear it uh, throughout the Gospels. Come Jesus, they're expecting him to come. You, you hear it at the uh, end of the story as well in Revelation. Come Lord Jesus, Maranatha. And we talked about this reality. And it could be today. That Jesus could return just as he came a first time. He's going to come again and he could return. And we've got to be ready. It could be today. And then last week, we talked about how the angels announced to Mary that she was going to have Jesus the Messiah. She was going to be uh, the, the mother of the Messiah. He was going to be born from her a virgin, a young girl. And her response was really simple to God. Her response was, I am the Lord's servant. It was literally like, whatever you need, God. Her influence, like our influence, is found not by our power and our position, but by our service to God and to other people. So as we jump into what we're going to talk about today, I want you to turn, if you would, just to Philippians chapter four. We're going to get there in a moment. I'm gonna to fly to a few other places real quick, but Philippians chapter four is where we'll spend the most of our time, and we're going to talk about peace and how we can have peace even in moments like the one that we are in now. The angel announced to Mary that, Mary, you're going to have a, a child, name him Jesus. He will be great. He will sit on the throne of his father David. He will rule and he will reign. The angels in the next chapter appear to the shepherds. And the shepherds are like these blue-collar, hard-working, on the totem pole of ancient Israel. They, they were sort of low on the totem pole. And God chose to reveal the good news of Jesus to these shepherds. And it's a pretty familiar story in Luke chapter 2. The angels um, appear to the shepherds, and it says in verse 13, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven. So in heaven, glory to God. All praise, all honor, glory to God. And on earth, what's the word? Peace to those on whom his favor rests. So glory to God in the highest heaven. And on earth? Peace to those on whom his favor rests. This peace is a promise that God offers to us who look to him for it. It's declared in Hark the Herald Angel Sing. Hark literally means to listen. God's declaration of peace through the angels and through all of scripture is an invitation, if we listen, to experience this for ourselves. And peace throughout scripture is a big deal. In the Old Testament, there's a word, shalom, that, that sort of marked the, um, the foundation of what it meant for the Jewish people to follow God in any and every circumstance. Shalom, peace was what God offered and what God did on their behalf. For a Jewish person, uh, especially here back, you can read throughout scripture, the, the greeting and the goodbye 
was one of shalom. They didn't say, hey, how are you doing? Goodbye, see you later. They said peace when they met and peace when they departed. It's the greeting and the goodbye of scripture. Our story begins in a garden with peace. Our story ends in heaven for eternity with peace and God setting up his kingdom, one of peace. We, we get a glimpse of this in Isaiah chapter nine and this is a prophecy hundreds of years before Jesus but fulfilled in Jesus. In Isaiah nine verse six, the, the prophet prophesied these words, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, get this one, Prince of Peace, and of the greatness, and of his government, and peace, there will be no end. And we're being invited into a story of eternal peace. Isaiah the prophet declares, God who will be born as a baby is the prince of peace. He's not a God of war. And you see, the, the Jewish people thought as they longed for this Messiah that the Messiah would come in power and kick out the Romans who had oppressed them for so long, kick out the enemies that were in their midst. They would be set free and they would fight and the Messiah would lead them and then Jesus is born and he's a baby. And he doesn't teach his people to fight. He teaches his people to give up their rights. And his victory, the, the, the pinnacle of his victory, isn't a battle with weapons. It's a cross where he dies. And then he says, follow me in all of these ways so that you can experience peace now and peace forever. So as we follow Jesus, there's a process of peace, a, a process of peace that, that I want to talk about. And there's, there's three dimensions I want to talk about. There's peace protected. There is peace that is practiced. And there's peace that is provided. So first of all, peace that is protected. And th this is talking about how do you live your life? How do I live my life? Through the ups and downs, through the good times, the bad times, through when things are hard, where they're suffering and we're not getting our way and have peace that is protected, sustained for the journey that we could have this kind of peace. Paul, the apostle, writes about it in Philippians chapter four. I'll start reading in verse four. Paul writes these words, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again in case you didn't hear. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Listen to this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And here it is, the peace of God. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is, is very, very specific here. And he says that there is the kind of peace that will guard your heart and guard your mind in moments where anxiety could be what is produced. This peace will guard or protect. It literally is the imagery of soldiers with their weapons protecting. And God's saying, my peace will protect your heart when you're prone to fear, your, your mind when you can be so worried and anxious, my peace will protect you. 
And he says, how do you know if somebody is protected by peace? There, there are literal clues all over this. If you know somebody's protected by peace if they're not overly anxious. Now, I think there's plenty of things in our world that cause anxiety, that can cause us to worry. And I don't think worry by itself, anxiety by itself, just as it happens is what's being addressed here. I think it's saying when we get caught in living in a pattern of overwhelming anxiety, and and Paul says, do not be anxious. Don't let that be a pattern or, or, or a rhythm of your life. You know someone is protected by peace when they're not overly anxious, when they are prayerful, when they are gentle, let your gentleness be evident to all. When they are thankful. How much do you have to be thankful for as a follower of God right now? And some of you are like, ah, I don't know if I have anything to be thankful. No, 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 no. Think about it. How much do you have to be thankful for as a follower of God? For grace. For mercy. For God's faithfulness. That's why Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. In every situation, lift up your prayers, but have thanksgiving in your prayers. You know someone is protected by peace when they're thankful. You know somebody is protected by peace when they have peace, even though they don't understand it. That's why here it's called, it transcends all understanding. I don't know if you've ever met this or person or had this experience. When you look at somebody and you're like, how do they have peace? They're going through this. How do they have peace? And they're like, I don't really know. I just know God gave it to me. How, how would you understand how to make it through some of the hardest times in life? And sometimes as humans, we simply say, I don't know. I just know God is giving something to me called peace, even though I don't understand it. It's, and peace is given to us as we seek God, as we give him our burdens, as, as we don't hold on to our worries, but we release them. We give our cares over to God. And that's how we know we're protected by peace. It's guarding our hearts. It's guarding our minds. Flip it around. How do you know if someone is not protected by peace? Just flip those around. They're not rejoicing they're not praying. They are overcome with anxiety. They are not gentle. You know, their hearts, their minds aren't being protected by peace. September the 29th, it was a Tuesday morning. I, uh, I woke up pretty early. I was, I was doing my Bible reading kind of deal. And it was one of those times, right? Anybody remember September 29th? It was like three years ago, even though it was just a few months ago. September 29th, everything's just sort of crazy. Election was drawing nearer, all kinds of weird things going on in our country. And I just felt the weight of it all. I don't know if you know this, but being a pastor, making decisions, sometimes people don't like it. Imagine that. Sometimes people tell other people how much they don't like decisions you're making. Imagine that. And I was feeling the weight of all of that. And all the stuff that's just circling in our, in our world. And I was reading through 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 2. And Paul is, is warning this pastor, Timothy, to, here's how you hang on to Jesus. Here's how you deal with all the chatter, all the gossip, all the quarreling. And then you get to verse 22 and Paul says this to Timothy. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and here it is, peace. 
along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. He's like, so along with all the others who are following God out of a pure heart, follow with them after faith, love, and peace. Verse 23, and don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know that they produce quarrels. And I, this week was reminded as I was wrestling through, how do you know if someone is not protected by peace? They're caught in evil desires. They're not pursuing righteousness and faith and love and peace. They're argumentative. They're always involving themselves in foolish and stupid arguments. And you're like, oh, he just said stupid. No, I didn't say it. The apostle Paul said it. I just quoted him. Paul says, don't have anything to do with those kinds of arguments when your words are filled with quarreling or gossiping or complaining. You know your heart and your mind is not protected by peace. He talks about empty discussion, about vain and useless matters, fruitless conversations. You know if that's marking your life, your heart and your mind is not protected by peace, so watch out. Be on guard. Figure out what you're going to do with that. And I believe in many ways 2020 is exposing that what we thought was peace back in February was shallow and empty and it wasn't rooted in Jesus. It was rooted in when things go my way, our way, when, when, when things feel like they're advantageous to us, when economically or relationally or physically or financially things are going our way, we think we have peace. And when those things are taken away, we think we don't have peace. But none of that's about Jesus. We've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that God is the one who's offering the peace that protects our hearts and our minds so that we can face whatever comes our way. Number one, that's how peace is protected. Number two, how peace is practiced. Peace practiced, meaning put it into practice. Don't just talk about it, do it. Don't just think about it, live it. How do we put peace into practice? Look at Philippians 4 again. The next verse, verse 8, Paul writes this. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Again, you're being shaped, being formed, being transformed by your mind, what you think about. Look at verse eight, I'm sorry, verse nine. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Just a way of reminder, Paul is writing Philippians, he's in jail, he's in prison. And he's saying, whatever I've written to you, whatever you've seen evident in my life, put it into practice. And look at the last phrase. And the God of peace will be with you. Practicing peace it is not just hearing a sermon, going to church, singing a song. It's learning how do we live this out? How do we have our minds set on these things? How do we be people who aren't always on the defensive protecting from peace like that, but we're on the offensive, practicing it. We're going for peace. And there's peace with God. We'll talk about that in just a minute. There's peace with ourselves. There's peace with others relationally. There's peace with our circumstances that we practice God's peace in these ways. Let me give you an example of this relationally from Romans chapter 12. 
Paul says in Romans chapter 12 that, that we should do this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I ask this question. Is Paul saying we're never going to have conflict with anybody? No. Is Paul saying, if you live your life for God, everybody will like you always? No. <laughs> Here's what Paul is saying. Even in the midst of conflict in our relationships, even when we don't get along with others, we still have a responsibility to react in the right way. Here's a warning. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. If someone lashes out to you in a wrong way and you enter into it in a wrong way, you just entered into evil. Don't repay evil for evil. But be careful to do what is right in the eyes of most people. No, 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 no. In the eyes of everyone. So if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. This is what Paul is saying. You and I do what we are responsible to do to try to make relationships right. Not sweep problems under the rug, not avoid them. We try to initiate peacemaking. We try to enter into being people of peace. Now, practicing peace isn't passive. You gotta do something. Practicing peace takes courage. Practicing peace takes a heart and a mind that are protected by peace to start with. But sometimes we've got to practice peace and we need to ask for help. In extreme cases of practicing peace, we've got, you know who we ask for help? We've got to dial for help, 911. Because we need somebody to come in and help bring peace in some very severe circumstances. Other times, we need to make a phone call and we need to call a counselor because in order to get through the struggle, we need somebody who has some professional expertise. Other times, we need to phone a friend because we shouldn't be trying to go through this alone. If we're going to practice peace, sometimes we've got to do something. Sometimes we've got to confront in love. We've got to be bold to a friend or a family member and confront them, but we've got to confront them in love. It's got to be gentle as we talk about what's going on. We don't need to be that friend who's blowing everybody up. We don't need to be that person who tweets or Facebooks every emotion and every problem. That's not practicing peace. Sometimes we need to sit down together with someone of great difference, someone we're in conflict with, and sit down together as friends and try to work through it. Sometimes we need to put relationships in front of being right. And let me just tell you, there's a lot of people who just wanna be right right now. Practicing peace sometimes is saying we value the relationship over our personal preferences. Sometimes practicing peace is being willing to have a hard conversation, but doing it with a soft heart of love. Practicing peace. Well, just think about this. Use your imagination. Somebody in the last gathering told me it's like Adventures in Odyssey, Imagination Station. Put your imagination hat on and think about this. What would this world look like if every single follower of Christ practiced peace. What would change? 
there'd be much less emotional trauma. There would be much less abuse. There would be much less suicide. There would be more encouraged, less isolated people. There would be more people connected and comforted. More opportunities seized instead of opportunities avoided. Our world would look very different if we started practicing peace. So first, there's a peace that is uh, protected, uh, protecting our hearts, protecting our mind. There's a peace that is put into practice. And now I want to talk about the third aspect, and this is peace that is provided. But, but I want to be really clear for just a moment. The, the third point of what we're going to talk about is probably the most important point, but I'm saving it to the end to remind us we can't do this on our own. We can't be protected, nor can we practice this peace all by ourselves, and we were never intended to do that. We live in a world that tells us, look inside of you and you'll find everything you need. No, that's not true. We can't experience the peace that we're talking about on our own. We, we can't fix all the problems of our world on our own. We can't even address the issues of our own hearts on our own. We need Jesus. And the angel's declaration, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth, is not five principles to a happy life. It's a, it's a declaration and an announcement. This is what God has done. This is what God is doing Will you join him? It's not self-help. It's not be a better person. It's look to Jesus and listen to his word and experience his peace. This is the third point, peace provided. And the point is God gives us peace through Jesus. John chapter 16, verse 33. A fairly strange passage to be somebody's life verse but I think it's quickly becoming that in my life. Verse 33 of John 16, Jesus said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Did you hear that? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. I have told you these things. What things? I'm so glad you asked. Hold on. Got to get to the very end. Even the maps. I've told you these things so that, that's purpose, in me you may have peace. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus says, you got to know this, and the, the, the sooner you accept the reality, of this, the better. In this world, you will have trouble. Could we just stop there and say amen? Not because it's good, but because it's true. In this world, we are, a lot of us, having trouble right now. But Jesus said, I'm telling you these things so that you can have peace, not in your circumstance. I'm telling you these things so that you can have peace, not, not in what, what you have, your ability, your talent, your portfolio. No, not that. I'm telling you these things so that you can have peace, not in some political system, 
I'm telling you these things so that you can have peace. And Jesus says, in me. In me, but you would look to me and listen to me, not to these other things. You can have peace because Jesus is saying, I can promise you in this world you will have trouble. But take heart, be courageous. I have overcome the world. So we don't even have to talk about the trouble as much as we want to talk about our Savior. The one who brings us peace through it all. And I just want to give you a stark reality check. God's goal for you is not to remove every bit of trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. And 2020 will not be the end of that, I'm sorry to say. But thankfully, his peace endures forever and ever. He's the Prince of Peace, by the way. If you remember 20 minutes ago when I started and he wants you to have peace. So he's told you these things so that you can have the peace. See, Apostle Paul, who, who we're reading his writing in Philippians 4, was not always a follower of Christ, was not always a person who was um, teaching us the ways of God. In fact, in the early chapters of Acts, the Apostle Paul is the one who is persecuting Christians. He's murdering Christians who follow Jesus. He's literally killing them. He's a rebel against God. And, and part of it is his success his accomplishments. He had a great degree. He was a smart person. His success isolated him from God. Part of it was his, his moral approach. Be a good person. Be better. Try to make the most of life. And it, but it was all about him. It was self-centered and self-serving. And the Apostle Paul came to the end of himself where he realized it wasn't about being a good boy or a bad boy. It was he was dead spiritually. And he couldn't save himself. And so he writes in Ephesians chapter two, but God through his mercy made him alive in Jesus. God gave him peace. Romans chapter five, verse one, Paul writes, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says that in his in himself and on his own, he was separated from God. He was bearing the weight of his sin, but then God justified him through Jesus, and that's how you get peace with God. When, when I was young, like 12, 13 years old or whatever, my, my dad got a boat, and, and the whole family got in the boat one day. It's a 17-foot Boston Whaler Montauk, not a very big boat, and uh, where, where we were at in North Carolina uh, at that time, there, there was an inlet um, outside of the ocean and we would ride the boat around the inlet. We only had it about a week. And uh, one day got over the radio news that just, you know, I don't know, a couple miles away out in the ocean, the fishing was amazing. The Spanish mackerel were running, which means they were jumping. They were coming out of the water. They would almost jump in your boat and you could catch them as fast as you could get a line in the water. So our friend Mike's like, come on, you gotta go. And so my dad, uh, my mom, my sister, and myself, uh, I love great adventure. The other three are not necessarily up for adventure. They're like, no thanks. I'm like, come on, let's just go that way and see. So we, we take the boat and we go and we get close to where the inlet meets the ocean, and there's this little, little thin stretch of water where the, the two bodies of water just make the waves and the swells just go up and down. 
And so we got in our little 17-foot boat with four of us, and we start doing that. And they're like, nope, we're not going there. And so they radio to our friend Mike, like, it's, it's too rough. We can't handle this. And all we hear is this, hold on. Like, what does that even mean, hold on? And before you know it, you see this big boat come crashing in. <laughs> He's just taking the waves, going over the swells, didn't care, coming in full speed. And, and it's Mike. And Mike comes flying up to our boat in his big boat, and he just looks at us, and he says two words. Mike's a man of many words, obviously. First of all, hold on, and now it's this. Follow me. And he guns, it takes off. We're like, what does he mean? But it was one of those things where you're like, I guess we gotta go, because he said go. And so we go, and here goes Mike, back into the ocean, and those same big waves were there. And he's like, And he took the brunt of every single wave. And we just went through like. And his boat took the punishment. And our boat just went through that. He's like jumping all over his boat. And we're like, oh, this isn't that bad. And what Paul is saying is that our sin our, our selfishness, our pride, our, our I can do this separates us from God. And something must be done. And God says something must be done. And he doesn't look at you. He doesn't look at me and say, so you do something. God says something must be done. I'll do something. And he sends Jesus to be born of the Virgin Mary, to live a perfect life life, to teach us these amazing ways so that in him we can have peace, and then not to win the battle by fighting and killing his enemy, but by dying and surrendering and giving up his life for us. And Jesus says, you want peace? It comes at a cost. But the cost isn't something you bear. Jesus takes the cost on himself so that we can be justified, so that we can have peace with God. And there's some of us who we don't have any peace with God. We never have. There's some of us, we've never had a turning point moment like the Apostle Paul had where he was like, he was successful, but he was selfish. And there was a turning point moment where he said, none of this matters because there was no peace with God. And he turns to Jesus, and he finds grace and mercy and forgiveness, and he finds peace. And for some of you, my prayer is before you leave this campus or click out of this platform that you're watching, that today you would turn. Today would be a turning point moment. You wouldn't wait any longer. You wouldn't put it off any longer. You'd stop playing games. You, you would say, I don't think I've, I have that peace, and I don't think I've ever had that peace because I don't think I've ever actually turned to Jesus. The good news is today could be that day. Today can be a brand new start. Today can be the day that peace, for the first time, comes into your life through Jesus. Would you pray with me? I wanna ask if you would close your eyes. If, if you're sitting at home, if you're with a friend, or if you're on our campus here, just close your eyes for a moment. We're gonna pray. But before we pray, I just wanna know, is there anybody... You're hearing my voice right now and you would say, I need to do what you were just talking about. I don't have peace with God. I long for that. I need Jesus. 
And maybe you would just pray something simple like this. Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I give you my life. Maybe the prayers of scripture that would resonate with you are things like, forgive me, God. I'm sorry for my sin. Maybe you would just simply pray, I, I, I turn to you, Jesus. I believe in you. Help me. Wherever you're at right now, with eyes closed, and it's not about me or anybody else, it's about you and God, it's about you expressing this. If you just prayed that prayer, Jesus, I need you, I'm just gonna ask you to open up your hands to God like this. You just prayed for the first time, Jesus, I give you my life. And just open up your hands before God. I give you my life, Jesus. Jesus, we know you hear that prayer. We know you bring grace and mercy and forgiveness. We know you bring peace that transcends understanding. I pray for those who just prayed that prayer for the first time right now. Give them your peace. Grant them your grace. Fill them with your spirit. Let them know today is a day things change. Thank you for your peace. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Jesus, for making all of this possible. It's in your name we pray. Amen. If you prayed for the first time today, Jesus, I give you my life. We, we just know this. We know that the Bible tells us there's a celebration going on in heaven. Every time one person does that in our earlier gathering, we know for sure of 11 names of people who did that today. And so we're so grateful for that. But we want to celebrate with you as well. We want to be able to join in with heaven with the celebration. And we want to be able to give you some resources and try to help out in any way we possibly can. So not only in just sort of offering, Jesus, I give you my life, would you also do this? Even if you're in this room, get out your cell phone. Text to 94,000. Put that in like the number line, 94,000. And then in the, the body of the text, just simply the word, Believe now, or the, the phrase, believe now. Believe now to 94,000 so we can help you and celebrate with you. There's nothing like the peace of God that transcends understanding, and that's what Christmas is all about. Amen? Let's celebrate together as we sing.